Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Activist Listening. Today I sat down with my friend Arlo Fleischer to discuss the Cops Off Campus movement at Middlebury College. Last summer, during the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter protests, many students at academic institutions started to turn inwards and ask whether their schools are contributing to the policing epidemic around the country. Many schools, such as Harvard University and the University of Michigan, saw their school officers either partaking in police violence in their cities or contributing to the police blockades around Black Lives Matter protests. Additionally, like all other policing departments around the country, university PDs have been embroiled in police brutality scandals. One example of many being the deadly shooting of Cameron Reedus at the University of Texas, Austin, who was shot six times by an officer on the campus PD in 2020. The calls for reducing um, cop violence on campus have had varying degrees of success across the country. The University of Minnesota reduced its collaborations with Minneapolis PD after the murder of George Floyd. But a lot of other petitions such as at NYU, Johns Hopkins and Georgetown have failed to change campus policing or affiliations with larger policing units. These questions around policing, like many other countrywide hot topics came to Middlebury last summer when a number of students, including my guest today, Arlo, um, who were already pretty involved in student activism, started to advocate for getting cops off of Middlebury's campus. Middlebury College is not modeled after bigger schools. We do not have a police department. We have a public safety department, but officers still dress like cops and patrol campus for lawbreakers. Although the dangerous physical weapon at public safety's disposal is really just a citation card, there have been many reported incidents of public safety officers racially profiling students of color. For example, asking whether they're students here and refusing them entrance into their own dorms or their own parties. The most infamous incident of profiling recently was when a black student at his folks chambers was accused, of public, accused by public safety of inciting violence at the Charles Murray protests back in 2017 despite a wealth of evidence displaying that she was not even close to the event. Because of these incidents, the group Cops Off Campus at Middlebury College called for the reduction of policing on campus and the introduction of more holistic methods of campus law enforcement, such as drug education, rehabilitation, and rhetorical conflict resolution tactics. The move to reduce policing on campus is still very much a work in progress, but I still wanted to sit down today with one of its members, Arlo, to discuss the movement and its future steps. So I'm very excited to have them here today. And I hope this is a great new episode of Activist Listening. Just a quick note about the interview before we get started. Public safety at Middlebury College is often referred to colloquially as PubSafe. So if you hear Arlo or myself referring to public safety and PubSafe, they are the same institution. We're just using Middlebury-centric jargon. Arlo, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk about Cops Off Campus. I think it's such an interesting movement. And, and yeah, I'm excited to hear about it from you and also like about the future of it as well. Yeah. All right, so I start every um, episode with just like a get to know you round where I pick like three or so questions about you and about activism. Uh, so. The question that I ask everybody that's like my favorite question ever 
is what is your most controversial non-political opinion? Yeah, um, I think that that would have to be um, that I really don't like taste as like a sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I that would have been um, probably the only, <laughs> if I had gotten coronavirus, that would have been the only upside because I, I just really hate the way that things taste and like the way that taste like lingers in your mouth after you eat. I just don't like taste. <laughs> Okay, so you're, wait, wait, I have a couple follow-ups. <laughs> yes. So you don't, it's not like you don't think it should be included within the senses, you just don't like it. As I like wish that I didn't have to experience it. If other people like it, like, good for you, but I don't want to experience taste. What about smell? Smell doesn't bother me so much, actually. So would you rather like smell a food that smells good than like taste a food that like yes. tastes good? Got it. That is so interesting. <laughs> Whoa. That is controversial. <laughs> Very controversial. <laughs> I ask for bland food when my friends get me food from the dining hall. I'm like, it's like people get upset just about that. Hey, just get me whatever's most bland. They're like, what? <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> All right. Well, I respect that. <laughs> Thanks for telling me. <laughs> My second question for you is, do you have a memory of when you first became aware of protests? Oh, wow. Um, that's a really tough question. Um, I feel like, I mm, see, I don't really have very many, like, early, I don't really remember my youth very well um so I guess my like when I first became aware of protests I would kind of associate it with when I was first going to protests I guess mm -hmm. um which I think would be like uh right around um like Trump running for president probably um I'm sure that I was aware of protests before then. I grew up in San Francisco, so I probably went to protests there as well, but um, not that I remember very well. Um, I feel like a lot of like my like awareness and and focus definitely came later in life when I was more politically and like socially involved with things like justice. Um, I think when I was growing up, I kind of definitely grew up in a bubble and, and just wasn't super aware. I think I was attending protests, but probably didn't really understand the gravity or the magnitude of what, what I was involved in. <laughs> oh, totally. I feel like for those of us who grew up in like liberal households and sort of liberal cities, like protests could seem more like parades or like, sure you're calling for something, but it doesn't seem like it's actually like an event to change things. And then when Trump was elected, we were all like, oh right protests yeah. like real protests i would actually like now that you're you're you remind me of like i would actually probably uh edit my answer a little bit and say that i i definitely think that like growing up in san francisco a lot of like um i went to a lot of like gay pride protests around like um gay marriage um but i just living in san francisco it all felt very normal to me and so it mm. didn't really feel like a protest it felt like a parade you know it felt like um more of like a pride event than a we're fighting for something here um, and I didn't really like 
understand the magnitude of what I was involved in at that time, I think. Yeah, totally. I feel the same way, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, my last good to know question is, um, off of that, I guess, similarly, is there one person or a group of people who you look up to as an activist? Yeah. Um, so I think kind of a couple different answers here. I guess um, my first answer would be like seeing Angela Davis speak on Zoom at Middlebury was like so, so totally impactful and like definitely like touched me in like a, a really powerful way, I think, and inspired me. Um, I think my other answer would be, um, I've been watching a lot of the Marisha Howard TikToks um, about the George Floyd Autonomous Square um, or Autonomous Zone and kind of like how they've been for like more than 11 months now, like holding down um, the square and, and just like creating their own sense of community and not letting like any um, police into the square and like, making really strong demands and expecting them to be met before anyone can use the street. And I thought that, that that's definitely something that's been really like inspiring to watch happen. <laughs> yeah. can, you, can you elaborate on that a bit? Like what square is this? Who is doing this? Like I, I honestly yeah, so, I haven't even heard of this. <laughs> um, the right near where um, George Floyd was killed, um, there has been um, a group that's been kind of like their mantra is no justice, no street. And so until their 24 demands are met, um, they're not letting any traffic or police or anything through their, like they're holding down an autonomous zone um, oh. and watching kind of like the way that they've created and upheld community in this space has been just like the most incredible thing. Um, and the kinds of demands that they've pulled together um, I think now that they're investigating the Minneapolis um, Police Department, they have, um, that's like one of the items on their demands list. So they're starting to like make progress forward, but um, they just have like incredible art and, um, you know, mutual aid and just all sorts of like community care that's going into this space. And it's been really, really cool. Um, that is so fascinating I had no idea this was happening and it's all like on TikTok and so there's a ton of like really cool education that's also going into it which is which is um I think one of my, one of the definitely things that I look up to I'll send you the uh TikTok handle <laughs> yeah please I've been so reticent to get on TikTok because my ADHD oh. I'm just like so scared <laughs> it's toxic <But laughs> no I know but now I'm like oh <laughs> there's so much on there <laughs> I won't send you the TikTok handle then. <laughs> I'll no, see if do find it. an article send about it. her that I can send you. Yeah, send me articles. Yes, articles are better than TikTok because I just yeah. I'm so scared. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also I oh, think no, no, the only other thing that I think of is like in my local, like my local Middlebury community, there are so many activists that I look up to, like you know Leaf. Um, um, and so I think that just. I think that when I think about who I look up to in the activist community, it's on like so many different levels, you know, from like the big scale to like just people that I've come across on TikTok to just like my friendos. <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> well, speaking of policing and fighting back against policing, um, we're here today to talk about the Cops Off Campus movement, which there's like the Middlebury branch that you're a part of, which is part of like the bigger national Cops Off Campus organization that started this past summer. 
Um, and yeah, I just think it's so interesting and such an important thing to discuss at Middlebury and at, honestly, at colleges across the country, because it's really wild to me how over-policed students are. It literally doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So yeah, my first question to you is just what made you want to get involved in Commonwealth Campus? Um, I think kind of when um, the George Floyd protest started to spark, um, I felt like I wanted to do more, you know, and um, I was trying to see kind of how I could bring this movement to like how this movement could come to Middlebury and what kind of like impact we could have on the Middlebury community. And I got like a message about a group that was organizing a letter. Um, and I felt like to me, it felt really important to invest my time and energy into that and, and kind of, um, you know, addressing these concerns in our Middlebury community. Um, so I think that like, yeah, I don't know. I just, um, I was in a place that summer where um, protests were less accessible to me, um, just given like COVID and travel and also coming, I was moving to Vermont at the same time. Um, and so I wasn't something that I could be involved with, but this felt like because I was moving and starting, I hadn't yet started a new internship. This was something that I thought that I, could devote a lot of time and energy to. And so um, it was something that like, this felt like the best way for me to like, kind of direct my energy to try and make change in my community and, and, you know, try and make things a little bit better. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, I think definitely this summer, there was such a, a pull to go to protests, but also, I mean, the awareness of protests were not safe for a multitude of reasons. Yeah. Um, a deadly pandemic being one of them. So sometimes letter writing yeah. is equally effective. Yeah. And with that, I mean, I mentioned that it's part of a larger campaign across the country. Were you, with the letter, were you writing to other schools, learning from them? Like, with, was there anything that you learned from other campaigns that helped shape the Middlebury one? Yeah, so we did attend some of the like national cops off campus calls or strategy meetings to kind of see what other schools were up to and like hear about where other campaigns were. But I think like most impactfully actually we had um, a network of like we were in communication with UVM and Bennington um, mm -hmm. cops off campus meeting groups. Um, and so um, UVM, I know that their situation is a little bit different because they have like an actual like UVM police force, but um, kind of hearing from these other Bennington, we shared our demands with Bennington and I know that they had took a really similar approach as we did. And so being able to like share our approach with different schools and hear about their approaches and like hear about kind of like how things are going for different schools and then have you know, conversations across different activists and like meet new people involved in the movement and hear about how different people have approached these sets of demands and how it translates to different schools, I think was definitely something that was really helpful when we were considering like, how does this national movement reflect onto our Middlebury community and how does it fit into the spaces that we have at MID? Um, because a lot of the demands that come from the national movement, things like uh, not having police on campus is something that, or like local town police is something that we're really fortunate that we 
don't have to be as concerned with at mid because we don't have a lot of like um police officers walking around Middlebury ours is more geared towards reflecting on public safety and the role of public safety and how we can make that less um, representative of policing. Yeah, absolutely. I was gonna, yeah, follow up with that, with saying, cause I think a lot of, yeah, a lot of bigger universities, they have town policing on their campuses and they also have like a literal police department where they have armed officers. I remember visiting a friend at U Chicago and there was literally like an armed policeman outside of his dorm and I was like, what the heck like what is this it was wow um so i was wondering you know what what exactly are the middlebury demands um how do they differ from other schools and how are they you know how how are they shaped to like appeal to the middlebury student body or to help the middlebury student body yeah so we're definitely more focused on um kind of uh restructuring we're working we're, we're working on kind of reimagining public safety and trying to imagine it in a context where we don't need to be um relying on the tropes of policing um to act as like quote unquote safety mechanisms in our community because they don't really so we're trying to um think of like how can we move towards instead empowering um like res life more and um to to kind of like um have better compensation and um you know respect from the student body to handle things like like noise complaints you know um and and how can we you know better like strengthen our like mental health services so that they're more equipped to handle like mental health emergencies and we don't need to have like um pub safe be the emergency line and like thinking about um, just like different ways that we can, you know, focus more of our resources towards other parts of the Middlebury Institution to, um, you know, rely less on public safety and have public safety serve less of a role on campus. Um, and also like thinking of having, you know, in whatever capacity those officers exist, having them be more part of our community and less of like you know, retired police officers or former private security people and more of like geared more towards like, you know, social workers and mental health professionals and, and people that interact with and play a role in the community rather than people that are external from and policing the community. Totally. I think that point on mental health is so important and, you know, really reflective of the larger movement because it's also like, it's obviously not fair to students who are having mental health issues to have to call pub safe, but it's yeah. also not fair to the pub safe officers. Like they are not equipped to deal with this. They shouldn't have to be put in a situation where a student could be even like threatening their own life, like in danger and they're not trained or equipped to handle this. Like it's not fair to anybody. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, what's interesting is, um, we've been running into a lot of, you know, bureaucracy is one of our biggest bur like barriers in trying to make this stuff happen. And um, the more that we talk about these things, the more that um, from the school we hear, yeah, 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 we're on the same page. In fact, that's already the protocol, but um, there is like the fact that there is a, you know, the fact that the first line that you call is, is public safety in like an emergency, like their public safety emergency line, like that, I think to me, it means that there's like a lack of um, 
communication and like it's not really um like the intention is there but it's not well executed and not well communicated that like public safety isn't going to be the one sitting with you if you're in a mental health crisis like there are like you know like that's not what happens at Middlebury but I didn't know that because that's kind of the perception that they give off you know and so I think that like it's just this really weird dynamic of like you can tell that everyone wants to do right by the Middlebury community but also it's just not um executed necessarily in like or communicated in the best way always I don't know if that made any sense <laughs> no that does it is so frustrating to hear because yeah I mean I fully believe that the administration is trying to do the right thing I think it's very easy to just be like oh the big bad admin like they're not trying <laughs> to hurt people but when things are poorly communicated or when it feels like there's activism and it's not being listened to yes. it can be really frustrating yes yeah and off of that, I guess I was going to ask, you know, like what have, what have been your successes since, I guess, was it August when you started? July? I can't remember exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that, um, uh, this is a tough question because it's kind of hard to define like what a success is, you know, um, because. Really, it's your own discussion <laughs> of whatever you think it's been. Yeah. So we've been, we um, have made a really small amount of progress in working with um, the administration. Um, we have been meeting with them a fair amount. We're being included in the process of hiring like a new director of public safety. Um, yeah, so in, in, and in that sense, and we're of course making moves away from the former like policing approach to director and more we've edited the job description and making a move more towards community oriented approaches. Oh, um, that's a huge amount of success. That's really important. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and that's for, you know, whoever the next director will be, which is, I definitely think um, is really important and, and something that we're really excited about. Um, but we also like, don't want to lose track of like our larger goals here. And like, we want to try and maintain uh, our own focus on the fact that um you know reforming public safety and and kind of like allow just you know making tweaks to this current function isn't really the goal and we want to in the broader sense like really be focusing on like why do we need these systems and how can we move away from these systems so um We've definitely had a lot of successes and definitely things that can be really exciting. Um, but we're also trying to keep our eye on like the larger um, goal of, um, you know, trying to um, focus more on like how community oriented approaches can achieve the same goals and how we don't really need these, um, you know, punitive and surveillance oriented um, approaches to quote unquote safety. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really phenomenal first step that at least <laughs> the person who you're hiring, I mean, cause change can happen. Obviously grassroots change is very important but also does happen from the top down and having mm -hmm. a leader of public safety even if the body of public safety is still there which is obviously, you know, work in progress. <laughs> Having yeah. a leader who is not a former cop or a leader who isn't just like punitively minded, like that's really huge. That's really like that's really exciting. Yeah. 
I think the other thing that I, you know, think about a lot is you mentioned grassroots. And I think that that was something else that I consider as like one of our biggest successes is the way that we were able to mobilize people over the summer, because mm -hmm. I feel like we did a really good job of meet, reaching like the broader student body and getting a lot of involvement and conversation going in terms of like, what is the role of public safety on our campus? And what does, why does it need to be that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I guess with um, also with that discussion of, you know, what does the future of policing look like at Middlebury? I know that this year I've been like increasingly concerned about how much private security there is on campus. Yeah. I've barely even seen pub safe officers this year, if I'm being honest, it's almost all been private security. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's like, oh, it's because of COVID and we have to make sure that things are safe. But I guess like, this is kind of an open-ended question. Like, do you know what the deal is with that? And like, are they going to stop it when COVID's over? Like, what is happening with all this private security? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I think it's uh, mostly geared around, you know, keeping COVID um, protocols. And uh, the byline is that after COVID, it will go away. Um, but I definitely think that it's something that's been really concerning for us as well. Um, and something that like, um, you know, is important to kind of, we, as a movement, we, you know, um, are trying to push back against, but I'm thinking um, like, I think that also the other thing that I would say of this is, um, it's kind of something, especially, I think there's a lot of private security around events. Um, in particular, like the first semester, there was a lot of private security at like um, events that didn't really need to be there. Um, versus this semester, there have been like new like health and safety officers that act as like social distance monitors, um, mm. which have allowed us to move more away from um, private security. And I think that like similarly, this is like a good step in like the broader reimagining of like where public safety and private security has a role on our campus, because I think that one of the things that we wanted to do when we were imagining demands over this summer is try and focus on setting up students, student like party monitors or student groups that could be responsible for monitoring events that we normally would have things like private security at. So I think kind of seeing these students start to step into more of the role of like um, event, like monitoring events. I, right now in a COVID, per, um, per, um, COVID capacity, um, I think does give me some hope that you know down the line, perhaps at like larger events, we won't have to rely so much on private security. Um, I think in terms of COVID and just like the general patrolling, um, I definitely think it's disappointing to see how much there's been um, a reliance on private security this year. Um, and I know that there has been the shift to using Chocolate Thunder, which is um, like, um, I think owned and run by BIPOC. Um, private security officers, but I think that like, yeah, so there's been a shift to um, a new private security firm that we're using, but I think that um, at the end of the day, this like can't be our final answer is like more diverse policing. I think that yeah. we need to be imagining um, less policing or no policing. Um, and so, uh, I think it's something that's been disappointing, but um, 
hopefully with the end of COVID, we'll be able to like move forward in a new, you know, in a new way from the pandemic with new approaches after this. <laughs> yeah, I love what you said about um, there being the student monitors and having different ways of, you know, making sure that people are still complying mm-hmm. with COVID. And I think definitely with the whole, especially with police abolition, it can just be so difficult for people to even imagine a world without policing or imagine like how we would interact or how we would like follow laws or whatever without some sort of body enforcing it. And to show the student body like bit by bit that it is possible to have a perfectly safe event without there being private security like breathing over you, which yeah. also is not COVID safe. Um, <laughs> but like that's really cool that, you know, like- there are opportunities to be like, oh, there's no security here. And yet we're all still like doing perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like as important as it is for us as a community, I also think it's important for like the administrators, you know, because sometimes um, students um, can like, you know, sometimes it's a generational gap sometimes, you know, and so sometimes it's important to kind of show like, hey, this is possible. And like, this is something that we can do and, and, and kind of like, bring someone into the vision a little bit. So I, I think it's been exciting, yeah. Yeah, really exciting. Um, I guess you already spoke a bit about the bureaucracy, but if there are other roadblocks to success that you wanna talk about, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely been, it took us a really long time to get meeting with um, administrators and even the people that we have met with, um, we have not talked on like a broader scale on like our levels uh, on our demands and or our goals and um, and what we imagine. Um, we've been kind of focusing on like bit by bit getting things done and um, talking with smaller groups of the administrators that are necessary for those conversations. So definitely bureaucracy has been a huge roadblock. Um, trying to even be heard. Um, I also think that like, um, yeah, I, I think that the other thing that I would say is, um, I think sometimes, um, it's hard to gain like legitimacy to, to our voices as students, you know, and it can be hard to be heard because, um, it feels like, um, there, there, I, I am approaching, um, you know, whoever, uh, as just an average Joe student, and I don't have any sort of credibility to my name, which means that it often takes a lot longer to start to get in the door and make things happen. And I think that, um, you know, activists and representing a student movement isn't necessarily taken with as much um, seriousness um, because a lot of times our ideals can seem really like idealistic and not necessarily well thought through which really isn't true to the movement because we spent so much time doing research and I think like three weeks writing our letter so um, it's definitely something that I think there tends to be misunderstandings in terms of um, how well educated we are on our own um, goals and demands which is yeah I remember the letter writing process I remember you writing it and it was like they're putting a lot of effort into this yeah I guess with that as well like um something that I heard 
or I definitely something that I thought honestly before I read the letter and saw how much work went into it was you know the idea of like Middlebury okay Middlebury doesn't have technical cops like they're not armed they're not they don't have tasers like they have you know citation sheets um and that's about it um what would you say to people who are like well you know we don't have it as bad as other schools or we don't really have like quote unquote like cops yeah it's so interesting you brought this up i would say that's definitely one of our other roadblocks is our name has been a really big challenge for us because people tend to misconstrue what we're about before um they even you know hear anything from us um but I think in terms of the fact that like we're not like quote unquote as bad as other schools, um, I think that like we have the opportunity here to be not bad, you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, and which is you know a very like simplistic way to put it. But I think that like at the end of the day, the fact that um, we still have you know officers that are called officers and resemble police and drive cars that look like police and wear uniforms that look like police. And you know, um, serve a lot of policing functions in our community. It can be really like a source of a lot of discomfort for a lot of BIPOC students on our campus, um, and and it just feels really unnecessary given how how you know we focus on this narrative of oh we're a small town community and like everyone looks out for one another. So then, um, I, why wouldn't we transfer that same ideals to? to you know our community safety and i think mm -hmm. that like um also i think we really have the opportunity to build a lot more a, a stronger community with a lot more like respect for one another if we're able to kind of like take safety into our own hands as a community um and so i think that it also has the potential to just really do really good things i guess to follow up on that like yeah yeah like it's not as bad as it should be kind of idea it's like the Middlebury public safety like there are plenty of examples of them still racially profiling students for example and just because they don't have guns like thank god they don't have guns like that's not a good thing yes. like it's like a oh this is the bare minimum that they're not like harming physically harming students they're just mentally harming students like wonderful you know so I mean I think about like the Addis example of like the most blatant example of them not believing a woman of color, but also, I mean, anecdotally, I've heard from from black students in particular of them, you know, being at parties or being in their dorms and public safety officers, like not believing them that they're students here, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which is despicable. Like that's not <laughs> that's yeah. not okay. And just because they don't carry guns, like uh, okay, like what kind of a what kind of a like um baseline is that we are rebuilding you know where it's okay for you know yeah <laughs> yeah I, so think, I think what you're doing is great <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah I mean I guess like I think a lot about like this fact of like um the fact that it's not as bad as it could be you know like okay well what kind of a community are we building where it's okay that it exists on any level, you know, and like, mm -hmm. and like, what kind of a community are we building that like, okay, well, we're content the fact that we only have to deal with X amount of profiling, you know, and I think also about like, the fact that like, who is that community for, you know, and like, we're really only totally. serving, like, our white students here. And um, I think that like, especially when we put so much focus on, on 
like diversity at the school, I think part of that is, you know, not just having diverse admissions, but also like um, creating space for, you know, BIPOC students and 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 creating support systems and support networks and, and making this like a place that is, you know, welcoming and comforting and that sort of Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, I guess with that, we're talking about the future of the college. Um, what are the future plans for COPS off campus? Yeah, um, so we're looking forward to holding an open meeting, hopefully sometime soon, to get people back involved and kind of open it back up to the community with like our updates of where we've been so far and where we're going next. Um, we're also hoping that we'll be able to work with whoever the next director of public safety is to um kind of like we relook at the structure of public safety as a whole um we're planning on pulling together um a public safety i think is going to have a committee of you know students to kind of weigh in on the decisions that are being made about public safety and and have some sense of oversight in terms of like how public safety is functioning and and bring them more into the community and have them play more of a a role in the community beyond a policing role. Um, I think we're also thinking a lot about, um, you know, like re, re looking, looking back at our original letter and our original demands and kind of like what structural things that we wanted to do because um, we've been meeting a lot with different community partners like um, health and wellness. We've been meeting with, um, uh, Renee Wells working on restorative justice um, and, and you know, thinking about kind of like how we can start to support these initiatives that are happening in our community and support like a move towards these systems, you know, that are more supportive. I love that. I think the idea of community-based, you know, communication and responsibility is so important because yeah. it does, like, it scares me, honestly, that we make it so okay at Middlebury for, if you have a noise complaint, you call public safety. If you see something, you call public safety. And like, sure, our, at Middlebury, like our public safety can't really do very much, like other than show up and tell you to turn your music down. But what's that training you for, right? Like it's training you to go into the world. And if you have a noise complaint, you call the cops. If you see something sketchy, you call the cops and they do have guns and they do kill people. So it's like, what are we like, we're just training future people to rely on the police outside of Middlebury. So even having like this idea of like training students here to have communication with each other, to like be able to call on someone else for help, like be able to have conversations, like it doesn't just have ramifications here, like it has huge impact like outside of college. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think, and I think that's the idea, you know, is like by making change in colleges, we can make changes in small towns and we can make changes in bigger towns. And, you know, like this idea of like um, smaller institutions as a model for larger, you know, systems and, and totally. starting to make changes beyond Middlebury, you know, we start with Middlebury and then Maybe we look at the town and then we look at the state and, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I love it, I love it. If we can make change in Middlebury, then we can make change in Bates and Bowdoin and all these other schools nearby and we can start to kind of spread things. Hell yeah. <laughs> <Not at all. laughs> 
<laughs> I will with that. Um, I always play a game towards the end of the podcast where I read you a quote by someone who's against your movements or somebody who does not like cops off campus. And you have to tell me whether the quotation is real or fake. Okay. Um, all right. So my first one is your request for us to immediately terminate our relationship with LMPD would not make our campus or its constituents safer. And it would be insufficient answer to a very com complex problem. I'm gonna say real. Yeah. I'm yeah. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> that was so many of them. They were just like, you know what? It's just not a real answer. And it's like, well, okay, then what are your answers? Like, what are your suggestions? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is it the go-to, like, oh, it's too hard. Like, oh. But it, it wouldn't make things safer, I think is a very like, yeah, all right. <laughs> That's like a classic pro pro police oh. stance. The amount of conversations that it's like, oh well, what are you gonna do about murderers? And it's like, <laughs> oh, we're talking murderers. Like, who's responsible for like so many deaths in this country? <laughs> like, okay, yeah. Oh man. All right, my second one. Okay. Yeah. As an academic institution, we promise to prepare students for the real world, and part of that real world is understanding that police brutality is unchanging and incurable. We don't want to get their hopes up about making change. So why should we have to do anything about it? <laughs> Oof, this one's brutal. <laughs> I'm going to say fake. <laughs> yeah, it's technically okay. fake, but also that's kind of the sentiment that I got from all of yeah. the people who were against it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. They're that's not willing to say line. that outright. but they're, like, just not, they're just not that honest about what their byline is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah. So it's technically fake, but... Okay, and the last one is, we were going to abolish police on campus, but then the entire admin watched Magic Mike at our monthly movie night. And we realized that if there are no cops, then there are also no sexy cops and we can't be having that. So we decided for our sakes that we should keep policing as it is. This one seems super true to me. <laughs> I think I easy one, gotta go with true. <laughs> Yeah, super real, definitely. Lori Patton <laughs> told me this herself. She was like, mm, big Channing oh, Tatum girl. <laughs> oh, Lori. Oh, I went to the pastor. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, obviously not true, but it made me laugh. So <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll have to come up with a whole new. I guess we can still have sexy firemen. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> As long as they don't have guns, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Sexy yeah. fireman, you know, be fine. <laughs> oh, only, yeah, okay. Yeah, biceps, these, these guns. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you can't really do that over a podcast. No the only it. acceptable type of gun. <laughs> <laughs> biceps. <laughs> All right, well, with that, um, I just want to ask, is there anything else that you want me to add, like any questions that you wanted me to ask or things that you want to just elaborate on about Cops Off Campus? Um, Rock that I can think of. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun and such Thanks an honor to be here. <laughs> Seriously, thank you so much for speaking with me, Arlo. You are so involved in so many fascinating things <laughs> and wonderful things on campus. So I really appreciate you taking the time to like talk yeah. to me.
yeah if there's anything else that I can do to help let me feel free to let me know (laughs) I'd like to thank Arlo again for sitting down with me to talk about cops on campus I learned so much about how the movement was founded and where it's going I'm so excited to see what changes cops on campus are able to implement with the introduction of a new public safety um, leader and with more student-run uh, de-escalation tactics. So I'm really, really excited for the future of Middlebury College when it comes to that. And thank you so much, Arlo, for all of the work you do. And thank you to everybody on Cops Off Campus for being so engaged. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next week. <laughs>